0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faceless Fly Fishing and Upland podcast. As always, I'm your host, Timber Pringle, along with my partner, Darcy Toner. Our guest today is Alone contestant, Coulter Barnes. He is a fly fisherman, survivalist, and well rounded outdoorsman. Today, we'll discuss his time on Grizzly Mountain when he was a contestant on the TV show Alone. Coulter survived 67 days alone in the wilderness, no TV crew, and no other people. I would go as far as to say that Coulter was one of the most beloved contestants on the show, and he has some pretty epic fishing stories to share. If you want to learn how to survive alone in the woods, you better keep listening. I want to thank our sponsors who make this channel possible. Orvis, for all your fly fishing, upland hunting, and dog needs. Shop at orvis.com or visit a fly shop near you and diamondback truck bed covers protect your gear with the toughest truck bed cover on the market and it looks great too
1: all right everyone um thanks for for tuning in again uh to our podcast here uh um we're huge fans of uh alone the television show and timber's favorite player and my favorite player as well was i guess you could call player or contestant or participant uh is uh colter here and he's agreed to be on our podcast welcome colter
2: hey darcy and timber thanks appreciate uh the invite
1: yeah um so normally we start off and kind of ask people how they got into whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever it is but i guess we could kind of ask you like kind of where did your where did your journey begin and and uh, where are you now, kind of, in like the what, outdoor space? Yeah.
2: yeah, so my journey, uh, it's been a bit of an evolution because I grew up hunting and fishing with my family in Montana and Oregon. I have two older brothers, and my father uh, really loved wee duck, and goose, and fe- upland birds, feather hunting, and we deer hunt mule deer, and antelope, and elk, and all this stuff, but it was a different type of hunting and fishing. We trolled for bull trout and kokanee and, you know, we just did everything that we could. We put a lot of of meat and birds and fish on the table, but it was, um, and so I loved it. That was what my roots were. And uh, so we were outside a lot in the woods, in the sage, picking sagebrush for birds and wheat fields and shooting doves. It was great, but it changed. So when I went to college, my I I got a roommate who was like an Eagle Scout. Um, he was a bow hunter, a big fly fisherman, and it kind of morphed from from kind of having to having to get something to get success to having really neat encounters and close encounters with animals, with elk you know we bugled in out for each other and we'd go out fly fishing and and uh, it was more about the experience we still you know caught our fair share of fishing game but it was a lot more kind of rich i think and it was we backpacked and carried stuff in and had some adventures it was more about the quest than about the kill and then um and then the final kind of chapter in my evolution of getting into hunting and fishing was moving to a, a native village in alaska so I moved to Cockanock when I was 22 years old, right out of college. It's Yupik village, and um, and there it's a subsistence life. They practice a subsistence lifestyle, so it's gill netting, putting up salmon, moose, seals, you know, all sorts of stuff, and and being a huge chunk of their pantry and their and their diet uh, daily. And so I just went from this kind of. Um, I don't know, kind of killer mentality to more about the quest to then subsistence. And that's where I am today is, um, is about trying to have meals. I have a lot of meals uh, that are 100% wild or 99% wild minus the seasoning and butter. But but uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at.
0: So for uh, any of our listeners that don't know what alone is, so you go to an island or so you get dropped off and, and on a island or in place where you are essentially alone and filming all of your own stuff and everything right
2: yep correct
0: yeah and so So, tell us about your season where it was filmed and and kind of your qualifications uh to get on the show
2: yeah first first i got a question for both of you guys do you know what show um inspired alone do you know what it is uh founded off of no it's uh, there, So there was a documentary called Alone in the Wilderness about Dick Krenneke. I don't know if you guys have heard of Dick Krenneke.
1: Is it the guy? But that?
2: he went? It's a guy that went into Alaska to uh, yeah. Twin Lakes yeah. and was going to live for a year with some very basic tools and was going to film himself. Uh, he went in at 51 years old. And he was going to do it for a year. So that's what the show sparked from. He, uh, spoiler, he ended up staying 35 years, and it's a remarkable documentary if you get a chance to watch it. I've, I've seen but, them all. Um, they would play but, him
1: on public television here when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I think he yeah. shot on like 16 millimeter film or something like that. He built a yeah. cabin. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I watched. It, it was like uh, uh, him and the Bush Tucker Man. Have you ever heard of that guy from Australia? They would play those two on on acts on like our public television all the time. So I've seen both of them. But yes, anyways, go on. Sorry. Yeah.
2: It, uh, yeah. So that's kind of that's the inspiration. It was really embarrassing as I got to boot camp on my season and I didn't know that that show alone in the wilderness helped me was a huge inspiration for me to move to Alaska and kind of follow this path. And uh, it's funny I got to season eight, got to boot camp, and they were like, and I had no idea that it was founded off that. Anyhow. Um, Yeah. So season eight of alone was in Chilco Lake, BC. So we were on the uh, honey Katim lands around Chilco Lake. And um, yeah, it was, we were dropped off in mid September and we, uh, there were 10 of us along the lake that lakes three miles long by about three miles wide. And so I'd say we each had about five miles between us and, yeah, they dropped us off right in the middle of a storm. They did that intentionally. They kind of waited and waited and waited for our drop date. and They saw a storm coming. So they got us out there, figured it'd make good TV the first <laughs> few
1: days. <laughs> is there 10 people that show up or is there more people that show up and then they pick? There
2: is more. So they always have a couple alternates. Uh, so they, they take 12. They always take 12 and they have two alternates in case something happens along the way. So yeah, there was always a couple, uh, it was kind of interesting because we're shooting, you know, promos and recording and interviews and stuff before, uh, we get dropped. And so you always do multiple shoots with the, with the alternates and without and whatnot.
1: What kind of fish are in that
2: lake? A good question. I have no idea. You didn't watch my season? No, no, no. <laughs> I did. I
1: did. Just for for the people that want, the for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I did watch it.
2: Yeah, no. I didn't do too well. But there's a there's bull trout. There's rainbow trout. There's a coho or not? Sorry, not coho. There's a um, sockeye salmon run. There's whitefish. So some lake whitefish. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's lots of bait fish and other things. But the big uh, sport fish were um, sawdye, rainbows, bull trout, and whitefish. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you catch, you? I, I know you caught rainbows and bull trout. Did you catch anything else?
2: Yeah, I caught six. I caught six rainbows and four bull trout. Um, and I caught most of those rainbows on a fly, a little kind of black mat. I took some little probably size, I don't know, 18 hooks, like just a few real small ones. And made kind of a Tinkara setup, because um, I had twenty pound tests and I had four pound tests. And uh I just kinda dialed in a rod to see as long as I could toss it out there against there's always a little bit of a breeze, but um I would row my boat up up uh wind and then I would just sit there and let it push me parallel to the bank and just cast and cast and cast and I would do that hours and hours and hours and I'd get like twenty hits. I wouldn't I wouldn't hook up very well, but I'd probably get twenty hits a day and and maybe have one or two hookups. So I don't know what my problem was.
1: Um.
0: So so for listeners, if you haven't watched Colder season, I know you're going to go watch it. He builds a boat. It's it's pretty amazing. And so I think you're the first contestant that's ever built a boat. And and
1: uh, no no no, there was a couple. Somebody well, built one out of like a barrel that one time. Not as good. No, not <laughs> as good. Did you, did, you, did you think? Did you plan on building a boat even before you went out there?
2: He did. I did, I did. I uh, it was funny because, yeah, there have been a few boats before me. I don't think anyone's used it quite as extensively. Like I lived in that boat thirty or forty days, but um, and I'm just surprised as all heck that it worked out the way it did as well as it did. But uh, yeah, I I took twelve items with me when I went to base camp, um, and we we had to quarantine for two weeks because it was 2020 with COVID and all. And then we had a base camp where they teach you how to use cameras. We had to take a trapping course or all the rules of the game and whatnot. But, um, so you're there for like two weeks. So I put up with 12 items. The two that I didn't take in with me were a ferro rod and a gill net. So I left those behind and in place, I took a saw and a tarp and the tarp was to build a boat, but it was really, you know, we, we all got to be friends and we all hung out. And like, uh, the other nine contestants, I just really enjoyed them. I have a ton of respect and like, they're just real outdoorsmen and and, uh, and primitive survival skills, instructors, and like they have such a wealth of knowledge. But we all kind of play little games with each other, too, right? We we're going to spill all of our secrets. Well, One of my little <laughs> games I played was uh, I told everybody nine of my items, but I wouldn't tell them number 10. And everyone really wanted to know what the 10th item was, but the one I didn't tell them was the tarp. And I told them the day before we were going in that I was taking a tarp so I could build a boat. And I just wanted them to kind of get in their head and think, Oh God, he's out there in a boat as they're sitting on the shore casting 10 feet out, you know? So I don't know how it works, but <laughs> yeah.
1: So did you have a pretty good idea of the area you're going into beforehand? Like, did they tell you? the I action? mean,
2: I want to say probably three, two to three weeks uh, we knew we were going to be on Chilco Lake. So yeah, I mean we read a lot of I read a lot of articles, um, as much as I could get my hands on. I mean, I read fishing reports from old, you know, there's outfitters that fish the lake and uh and their reports and I looked at weather. Um we didn't know where on the lake we'd be placed. And it's quite different. I mean, there's are some areas where people had a hundred yards offshore and it was four feet deep. Some people had bays, some people had deep drop offs, some people had lots of pines, lots of firs. I mean it just it kind of varied but uh but yeah we knew we were on choco lake so so we did have some time to research uh a couple weeks before we went in
0: i feel oh sorry i feel like some people kind of get a bad spot where they get dropped off how did you feel about your spot that you were kind of allocated
2: i loved my spot i really did i i thought it was um I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was, um, I thought it gave me a good chance. I mean, it looked like, uh, it was eerie or it was, you know, grouse or fish. Like it looked like there'd be some game around. It wasn't too steep. There was water sources. There was willows and some deciduous uh, stands around along in with conifers. So I and you know, berries everywhere, onions everywhere. So I liked my spot, um, and honestly, I'd like to go do it again in the same spot to see if I learned anything, to kind of see if, you know, I want to get dropped off the same day, you know, a time of year, mid-September, at the same spot, and see if I can do better than I did. And uh, that would be the real uh, the real challenge. But, um, yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, it's like, people... I'm sure there are spots that are better than others because if you scout these things, you don't get to see them throughout the year. So you don't know if there's deer or moose migrating through or bears or fish. Like You don't really know when you're scouting them, so I get that. But at uh, the same time, is, I think it's another way to push responsibility off and say, oh, I had a bad spot. Me, I mean, I feel 100% responsible for my failures as well as my successes. So, uh, yeah, I, I like my spot well enough. Did you Did you ever –
1: did you try – so I think you got you got all your bull trout with your, your gill net you made yourself, yes?
2: I caught. I actually caught. They didn't show it, but the very first fish I caught was like on day six, and it was a bull trout cruising the shore. And um, I had made kind of a big wooly bugger, looking, sing, uh, fly. And maybe like I don't know a size two or four, I forget how big it was. But uh, it was. Cr- I've been casting for like two or three days, nothing, nothing, nothing. Little trout would follow it right up to the shore, and then they'd turn and spook. And uh, this bull trout swam by, and then he turned around and swam back down the beach. And I casted one cast beyond him, and like stripped it a couple times, and he just hit it, whacked it. How come and that I didn't was make the show?
1: How come that didn't make the
2: show? I know. It's like so good. <laughs> I know, it was great. Like, I love sight casting a fish like that, too. I mean, it was exciting. And uh, sure enough, he hit it, and I got him in and was stoked. And I thought, geez. I mean, he was a, he was a, he had, to, they had to be 30 inches. I forget what it was, 26 or 28. I forget how there's a, there's a measurement they had to be, which is another, I mean, all the regulations you don't really hear about, but we couldn't keep salmon. We couldn't eat salmon if we found them washed up dead. Uh, you couldn't use bait. You couldn't use barbed hooks. You couldn't use set lines. You could, you know, there's a lot of regulations that people don't see. So, um, so it'd have been really devastating if that fish would have been below the slot limit there.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I I don't know how. Like, yeah, that's that, that's a, that that'd be a tough release. I'll tell you that much. Let me put it that way. You know, it'd be one of those ones. Like, uh, definitely a tear would come down my face if, if, when I was releasing the fish. You know. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. So did you, what did you tie the wool? What did you make the woolly bugger out of? Like, did you have, did you use it? A- so
2: I used thread. Yeah. I tied quite a few flies. I tied, you know, when I was back in college and fly fish a bit more, I got a tying, I made a little fly tying stand set up for myself. And this guy had passed away, an older, an elder in town and, and we went and bought a bunch of his fly tying gear and we're pretty, pretty set up, me and my roommate and, um, so that experience helped a lot but uh i stripped a lot of my paracord you know there's six white strands in the paracord seven and then um there's a black kind of a mixed black one it's a little bit thinner and it makes really great tying thread so when i stripped that i would tie all my flies out of that and uh i had a little bit of pitch like pitch glue that i would i mean that's the other thing when i tie flies i have like a gallon of head cement that i douse those things with, and that's great and so uh, I would wrap the hell out of these flies in my little <laughs> shelter at night, tie be via headlamp or campfire. And um, I had a bunch of them. I thought they looked pretty good, but I think the fish disagreed. But. Yeah, like, I don't, I, they didn't
1: show that at all, did they? Hey, the fly tying stuff? No, no. no. Tying, uh, and I, I,
2: I bet you, okay, here's the deal. I gave them a thousand hours of footage and they turned it into 45 minutes, right? Yeah. So there's 999 hours that I haven't even seen and nobody's seen, but I bet you there is 15 or 20 hours, maybe 30 hours, I don't know, more of me just sitting there tying flies in my shelter. Not having a vice, like a great vice. I had a Leatherman, so I would kind of rig up my Leatherman, but uh, I tied like these black, and there was these little black, um, God, I don't know what they were. They weren't nets. They were kind of like a little bee. Uh, and I would tie up this little black fly pattern and man, I used, um, I put in some like wings. I put in some tail, like I, I found some feathers. What else did I use? fur. I used some for my beaver hat, and my mitts. I used some yarn from wool from my um, scarf, but you know, I scrounged some things. I even used some beard hair and, uh, yeah, it was yeah, fun. It was that, fun to tie yeah. it, it probably decades.
1: I'm I'm glad you did all those things. Cause every time I watch the show, like being a fisherman, I'm like, why don't they like, you know, like why don't they make flies? Like they like, and I'm happy to hear that you fished all day. Cause it doesn't, I don't know well, if it's the way they edit it or not, but it seems like yeah. a lot of people don't fish <laughs> all day. Cause I'm like, I would just, I, that's all I would do. I just walk and fish and walk and uh. fish and walk and fish, you know?
2: Yeah. No, I think, you know, they don't show a whole lot. It makes it look like you went out there, didn't catch anything in ten minutes, and <laughs> yeah. you know marched back to your shelter. Uh, yeah. But no, like I would pound the water sometimes for four or six hours. I'd be moving spots. and would be like I'd take little naps in my boat. Like it was just like I I was like trolling I would troll like this big I called it my Michael Jackson fly. Like I weighted a lot of my flies with um had trapping wire. So I'd run some wire on my fly so I could get them down there deep, and I would, like, troll out there. And then I would jig off the bottom, like, 150 feet. I had a little rock that had uh, had different lengths to this rock that I could drop down so I could see where I would set my gill net. Anyhow, but then I would start fly fishing a little bit. And then I would count, like, I mean, I tried different. I pounded every method that I knew, uh, fishing all the water column, fishing points and fishing rock spaces and fishing, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, different times of day and I just couldn't figure it out, man.
1: Ugh. Well, lake fishing is tough, you know, like a river is kind of easy to like, well, in comparison for me, I guess, because we fish rivers mostly, but like you can break it down so easily, you know what I mean? A river, but a lake, it's like, you yep. just look at the volume of water there. It's like.
0: So oh, daunting. It's
1: So daunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you restricted to the area that you can go? Like how far up and yep. down the bank?
2: Yes, yeah, So I could go, uh, it was about, I want to say it was close to two kilometers by two kilometers. Let's see. Maybe it was a little bigger than that Two, Maybe it was four kilometers by four. I forget what it was, but they tell you what your square is, but they don't tell you where, mm-hmm. uh, but so you have this little GPS tracker and when you hit the boundary, it starts vibrating and it sends a text uh. that says you need to turn around and go back into your geofence. Well, it's always aligned with uh, with a geographic boundary. Like one of mine was a creek. So when I crossed the creek, I had crossed my boundary. The other one was a ridge. So there was kind of a way to tell. So I went and marked my my areas of the lake. And then one time I was out in the lake and I paddled outside of my geofence. So they gave me, gave me a certain portion of the lake in front of my square, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I'm always like... I, I we I watched a television show. Me and Tim were discussing, and we're like, "Why don't they go? Like, can you see that edge over there? Like it's, that corner? How come they're not going over there?" It's like, or you
0: fished out the spot. Like some people have fished out the spots in some of the season. You're like, "They got to go somewhere else." Like they've caught all the fish in that area. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I felt like I didn't. I don't know. You look back and you kick yourself. Like there was this really shallow gravel. Um, kind of bar that came off of this creek this freshwater creek that came in and i don't know whitefish spawning habits all that well i i kind of thought there was a fall i thought they'd be going up there in the fall so i hit that a couple times no luck like i just i don't know i just was i was hitting these two points off my bay which i i usually i like there's some current there and I kind of like to fish in those spots typically and nothing. And, you know, when I set my gill net and caught those two big bull trout. Like I kind of thought there was two days after I set my net so I, and I caught two 30 some inch fish. I was like, all right, great. Like one fish a day. I think I'll be here for a while. Yeah. Well, I didn't quite, you know, didn't pan out like that.
1: Maybe those fish that were hitting your fly the, were whitefish. You know, you're like, you're, I only hooked up a couple of times. There were rainbows, right? When you actually did hook up, maybe yep. those miss hits were yep. whitefish.
0: Cause their mouths are so small. Like they can, they, even when yeah. you have a small hook, they don't, you don't hook up on them lots of times. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what yeah. it was. Hmm.
2: I, would, I yeah, would love to, I, 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 I don't know, you know, those were missed opportunities and I totally know what you mean. A whitefish mouth is so small, but, uh, God, usually you, you get one hookup. I mean, I must add yeah. 150, a couple of misses so i don't know that oh. was a bummer i want because you could keep you could only keep two trout a day one bulk shot and one rainbow or two rainbows but you could keep like 10 whitefish a day so i was like i went up to 250 feet deep which was like all the fishing line i had left after my gillnet. and like jigged off the bottom uh i tied like some little san juan worms and uh I don't know some little blood blood worms like red and and whatever and man with some wire and some like I forget what I use, but man it, oh some paracord I took some paracord sheeting. that's what I did I took a bunch of different colors of paracord and uh, anyhow yeah nothing
1: how how deep was the gill net you set that when you got the bull trout I was
2: I was set at somewhere between fifty and I want to say. 50 feet uh yeah 45 to 55 feet when i caught those two fish
1: that's pretty deep though even you know what i mean like yeah
2: yeah Hmm. but i was trying to like you know just trying to set a gill net this is another thing like i've gill netted a bit mostly off the beach so like a set net for um sockeye sam subsistence uh, in Bristol Bay and in Alaska, Lake Ileana. Anyhow, uh, it's always been from nets I've purchased. I've never made my own net. Uh, I always had a boat, uh, that had you know, a motor or some sort of propulsion. And so you could go against wind and you could set it how you wanted to. And so now like trying to set a homemade net, trying to, and, oh, and I was always on the surface, I would set it on the top. So all my buoys, all my floats for my net were running on the top of the water, right? Well, now I'm trying to sink it. 50 feet i'm trying to keep it taut i'm trying to not get it tangled i'm trying to be able to pull it up and check it like i sat up many nights like day 40 to day 45 because it opened at 45 and i sat up for many nights trying to figure out how in the world am i going to be able to set this thing at 50 feet deep i've never done it and uh it was pretty interesting
1: how did you deal with like the de- so you missed a lot of fish by the sounds of it like how did you deal with that like mentally
2: how do i deal with like this i mean oh it was fine i mean that's man if you know my family we're pretty poor fishermen it was not a big deal uh i was praying for that my whole life i just feel like uh it's just part of it's part of hunting and fishing you know i mean it really is is uh these animals do this for a living their entire life is spent not trying to get caught not trying to i mean every rabbit and grouse and deer like they don't get to go to sleep and drool like us and say i mean they're constantly on edge and they're listening and their senses are so dialed in and so like you you know you're very rarely going to accidentally stumble on some of these things so i know um you got to move really slow you got to be quiet you got to watch your scent your wind and your fishing so like yeah i was grateful for the things i caught and the ones that i didn't um that's just part of the game Mm -hmm.
0: So you had men- mentioned wanting to go back to the same spot and, and, and do it again. It, would that be as like part of the show? Would you do the show again?
2: Oh, I do the show again in a heartbeat. Like if they, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I would hang up right now if they called me and told me to pack <laughs> <Yeah>. my bag. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would love to get another shot. And uh, just, it's kind of like the Olympics of, I don't know, what do you call it, Wilderness living or survival uh whatever, and so it's um you wanna have your best performance, you know at the big game or the uh got at my marathon, and uh I don't feel like I did I don't feel like you know I completely flopped, but I feel like I have a different mentality now, like I feel like I didn't adapt as well as I needed to, and I didn't diversify as well as I needed to, so like yeah, I'd love to go out and do it again and it, and it honestly it would um one. Me and the other folks from season eight, we've talked about having a Chilco Lake reunion. So we want to rent a boat and go see all of our sites and camp there and spend some time out there. So not really an alone experience, but just go check it out. But I would go in a heartbeat if they said we're going back even wherever on the planet. I don't care. But if they said you're going back to that same square, I'd I'd jump at the bit. I'd love it. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Just it seems like when people come on for the second time, uh, they just aren't as into it. I don't know. That's just what I've kind of seen.
2: I've, I've talked to some of them and, uh, what they've shared with me. And I mean, these are some people that are, you know, much better outdoorsmen and more hardcore than I am. And they say, Colter, the PTSD is real. Like mm. there, I mean, they said it cause I was like, I, you know, I was trying to blow it off and say, Oh, whatever. Like, you know, da da da, been like, I live in the bush or I, you know, just trying to make a little bit light of it. And they were saying, Hey, like just take it seriously. If you're going to go back on like the PTSD from your first experience of starving and failing, even just filming and all the work that goes into it. Like, uh, yeah, it's a much different experience than your first time.
0: So for our listeners that haven't watched your season, uh, do you want to kind of tell them how it, how it ended?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, if you haven't seen Alone, there's a couple ways that you can come out. Okay, so last man standing wins half a million dollars. Last man, last person, sorry, That's last okay. person standing yeah. wins half a million dollars. And so um, you can get you can you know get frostbite, they'll pull you out. You can hit your tap out button because you're lonely or hungry or you got a cut in your hand or leg or infection or whatever reasons. But one of the other ways you can get pulled is if your BMI drops below 17. So your body mass index, if you lose too much weight. And so for me, I knew I was losing weight. Uh, I gained about 20 pounds, and I went in at 242 pounds. And I knew I was losing weight, losing weight. And uh, day 60, I had a medical check, and they said, hey, like, your weight's concerning, you know. And so um, day 67, we had another medical check. And they said they were seeing um, things in my organs and my vitals. I mean, they take your blood pressure. They put an oxygen sensor on you. You walk around. You lay down and stand up. They check your feet and your pulse. And they do all these little tests, and they weigh you. And, and there's a doctor who's phenomenal. And uh, they on day 67, they said, we don't think it's safe for you to be out anymore. So they polled me, and I went back and weighed, and I had I was 156 pounds. So I'd wow. lost 86 pounds. And you sixty-seven try- days—that
1: is incredible. That's like—I hmm. thought it was about a pound a day. Is that kind of what they?
2: Yeah, it was a little over a pound a day for me. About like one and a quarter pounds yeah. a day, and uh, yeah. and the thing was, um, I felt like they gave me every shot in the book. Like they didn't short me at all. I would have kept going. Like if they wouldn't have come and done med check, I I felt great. I'd have kept going, but. I don't think it would have been safe and I had every opportunity so they didn't short me on my seeing they gave me every opportunity to survive and to find food and to do what I needed to and I didn't wasn't able to connect but uh but yeah it was and I felt great so this is the interesting thing is I felt so good until the moment they flew me back to base camp and they took me to a kind of a little lodge where I had a room just a kind of like a motel room, had a bathroom and a bed and maybe a chair and a little desk or something. But I had to stay in that room for 13 days for the refeeding program. Well, the second I hit hardwood floors, I felt completely pathetic. I couldn't, I was walking around like I was like a hundred year old man. I was aching. I was frail. I couldn't, you know, I sat on the toilet and like it just hurt. My feet hurt. Everything hurts, so it's really interesting. Like in a matter of hours, I went from feeling as good as I ever have to. Then you put me in a room, and I just felt absolutely miserable. So it was it was weird.
1: Do you think it was like adrenaline that was keeping you feeling good when you're out there, or like it was just mind over yeah. body?
2: Yeah. Oh, I think it's yeah, absolutely. Emotionally and mentally, I felt so good. I was loving my routine, like. Every day I'd get up and unbank the fire, start the fire, have tea, drink two quarts of water, go out trapping, hunting, fishing all day, come back, have tea, maybe have some of my catch, sit around the fire, play Yahtzee. Like my routine was so beautiful and I loved it. So, um, yeah, but physically I think my body, you know, uh, say the body keeps the score and I think it really uh, started talking to me once I got back in the room. Yeah. And that routine was gone. The adrenaline, I was out of the competition and out of the game and, uh, so it just kind of all hit me like a freight train and i looked at myself and thought like wow they really let me go far because i didn't feel like this when i was out in the woods but uh,
1: it's, so you found lots of mushrooms too when you're out there eh like i think you did super yeah. good what kind of mushrooms did you find yeah
2: i found uh three different kinds that i really tuned in on so i found matsutake the pine mushroom mm-hmm. big old matsutake's like they're just popping up from under the ground, like I didn't really, uh, yeah, I wouldn't see a lot of them. The squirrels would get to them if they really exposed themselves too much. So probably picked 25 to 30% Matsutake, probably 60% Bolites. So there was a couple different kinds of Bolites. And then um, some some mystery ones. So I started picking two kinds. There was a ones I called red slime balls. I have no idea what they are. And there were so many of them. I started picking them, and then I would put, I'd break off little pieces and put it in my gums, like two, and I would keep it in there for an hour, and then I'd keep it in and spit it out. Then I'd keep it in there for six hours. Then next day, I'd eat half a one. And so I was experimenting with them, and they ended up being safe. And so I ate uh, probably five to ten pounds of those. But then there were these purple ones uh, that were big, meaty purple ones late in the season, and I picked probably 10 or 15 pounds of them. And every time I ate them, I started feeling sick. Okay. And I would like... Go shit or vomit, or man, it was just like, was not. I'd lay on the ground and kind of spin a little bit, and it wasn't a fun spin. Yeah. And uh, it, so I didn't eat them. At the end, I was like, no, nope, I threw them all out. I did it on camera. I was like, it's kind of a big moment. But yeah, I bet you I ate 75 to 100 pounds of mushrooms, and uh, they got me through a three week dry spell. There were three weeks I didn't eat any meter fish from day 28 to day 49, and uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms are the only reason I made it that long.
1: How many... So, you must have been eating like a pound of mushrooms a day then. Is that I like... was eating
2: 50 mushrooms a day. So, what I would do is I I hung them up to dry and I had 600 above my head at one time. And then I had more in like on these little scraps of tarp. I just had kind of bundles of mushrooms over there in my shelter and I would... I would literally either put 25 dry mushrooms in my stew, my tea in the morning and then 25 at night, or I would put a necklace on. I had a little fishing string necklace that would hold 50 and I'd walk around whenever I was doing stuff and just chew on mushrooms. By the end of the day, I'd eat through my little canny necklace of dried mushrooms. So
1: what do you got any tips for finding mushrooms for people? How about like, I,
2: you know, I will and you know, I, uh, i think that you know i think people turn away i think mushroom you know beliefs kind of get wormy and kind of get a little bit mushy if they're not in their prime they, they deteriorate pretty fast and um but i think there's still a lot of meat there if you're willing to work with it uh i think you can take a belief that you would otherwise throw away and still get two-thirds or three-fourths of a really good edible mushroom but um But yeah, I think you just focus on, to me, my tip is, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not a mycologist by any means, but when I move to a new area, I go out and see what's the most common mushroom in the area, and I just start from there, and only if you work down two or three or four that you know, if it's shaggy manes, if it's chicken of the woods, if it's angel wings, if it's police, if it's chanterelles, whatever it is, you just, you don't have to know every mushroom, you're going to go out on a walk and you're going to see a hundred You're not going to know 97 of them, but the three you do, if they're the most common, you can really add to your meal, you know, and add to your pantry. It's just a lot of fun. Like it just, it brings people together, neighbors, kids, families. So yeah, mushroom hunting is one of my favorite things uh, in the world, but you don't have to know all of them. People think, oh, I don't know all these. So they get daunted. And the other thing is, you know, they're told as kids rightfully so, like don't touch them. They could kill you. But we never go back when they're 12 or 15 or 18 or adults and say, okay, mushrooms are really cool really neat really amazing and you know there's a ton of edible ones and, and, and it can be a really neat fulfilling experience we don't go back and untrain people so a lot of people are just scared of them
1: yeah the boletes are like uh, they're they're pretty really easy to identify i think i think that's why they're like you know it's there's not too many mushrooms out there that you turn over there's no gills like a, a bolete has like that kind yeah. of looks like Foam. Foam or sponge, or, sponge or whatever underneath, right? So it's like as soon as somebody showed yep. me that, I was like, Well then it's like you don't have to second guess it, yep. right?
0: We do most of Tubes our, and teeth. We do most of our mushroom hunting when the fishing's slow. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, We'll go wander into the woods and look for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: No, I uh yeah, tubes and teeth. So they have tubes, bullets, uh, that kind of sponge what you're talking about, and then teeth, like hedgehogs have teeth. And so uh those mushrooms, I you know, I don't want to say it uh, with a guarantee, but most, I think, ninety percent of those are better. Of tubed mushrooms and teeth mushrooms are edible and safe, and so yeah, it's a great way to um, to get into mushroom hunting. The
1: teeth, you mean, like the uh, the gills underneath? They look like they're like like droplets. Is that what you're Is that what you're saying? As far as the teeth?
2: yeah, they kind of look like little spikes. So yeah. if you look at a hedgehog mushroom, they look like they have little spikes underneath. So those are teeth. There's a few, you know, there's many varieties of teeth mushrooms and then tubes like the bleats. Yeah, those are those are great, safe ones to, to go after.
0: So you had mentioned uh, earlier that you did not bring a flint with you. Uh That's a pretty risky move. I remember when we were watching your season, I was like, "Oh, I can't believe it. I was like,
1: this guy doesn't stand a chance. As soon as I saw that you didn't bring the flint, I was like, no way. These people that say, think that they can do the bow drill. They never last. I'm, I don't.
0: The the wood usually is too dense and they can't get it done. They can't get the job done. But tell us your experience.
2: Well, what's funny is, um, within like, I hadn't made, when I left, when they dropped us on a loan, in, like, mid-September, I'd made probably five fires with a bow drill in my entire life. So, like, I had no idea what I was doing, but, like, I had also not really used uh, a flint and steel or a ferro rod that much, so, but they count against you, right? So, if I pick a ferro rod, that counts as one of my ten items. So, I was like, well, I suck with a ferro rod, So and I suck with a bow drill, but at least it doesn't count against me. So that was my philosophy going in. My mother was scared out of her mind. The last thing, I called her from a sat phone and she said, please listen to your mother and take a, she said, take a freaking pharaoh (laughs) rod. And uh, that's pretty pretty bold words for my mom. So anyhow, um, yeah, to get on the show, one of the things they have you go through boot camp and you have to start a fire with a bow drill in 20 minutes. And so I knew this was something I would have to demonstrate. So I just said, it can't be, that hard I and mean, we've been doing this for a long time and so uh yeah it's density of wood and size of your spindle and a lot of friction forces and stuff i mean it was it's just physics and it's uh it's pretty rad like i got it down so when i went out there it took my first fire took me like an hour and a half i was winded a bunch of attention i was sitting there thinking oh my mom is laughing now like or crying i don't know but <laughs> yeah. she, so and uh and then I got it down to where I can do a bow drill fire in about five or six minutes now. And I was really stoked about it. that was something like I wanted to get out of the show is like, I want to become better at starting fires. Like I've always used a lighter and matches and kindling or whatever, you know, you had around and the wood stove, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me, but now I feel pretty confident. Like I've been working with kids and some and adults online, like, uh, from, from afar, people that want to do bow fires and like, I'll talk them through it and see what some of their like dust looks like, different color and size and particles. And like, I'm not a, I'm no expert, but, uh, but I felt like I improved a lot. So.
1: Well, you did it for 68 days or 68, 67, regardless. You (laughs) did it for a whole bunch of days in a row. I'm sure you, would you try to keep the fire going when you would leave, when you would leave camp, like keep some embers in there? Yeah.
2: So I, I didn't have many fires that first month because fires. I think fires are kind of an energy suck. They're a calorie suck and they're wonderful. Fires are beautiful, right? You can stare at a fire for days, for lives, generations. Like they're so beautiful and the warmth that they heat you from the inside out. They're just amazing. But they take a lot of calories and they take a lot of time to sit there and not burn down your shelter or start a forest fire to feed it more wood, go get more wood, split wood. And it's just like, oh man, it's a ton of calories. So I took a risk and didn't, I hadn't had drink a lot of filtered water since I've been in Alaska. 15 years and so i uh i didn't boil my water so that a lot of contestants were boiling their water every day so i had six fires the first month i was there because that was the six days i caught fish i wanted to cook them otherwise i ate a lot of stuff raw and cold and uh whatnot then later on the second month it started getting cold and snowy i would bank my fire so i'd bury it in ash every night and then I would get up and I would put on six little logs, have my breakfast. I would bury it again, unbury it at night, put on six little logs. Like I allotted myself wood. I knew I had about 100 days of firewood because I was like super nerded, geeked out on like my firewood, exactly how much I could use every day. I mean, it was it was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Did you end up finding any small game?
2: Like- I didn't see. I never saw a rabbit one. I never saw a deer one. I mean, I pounded the country. Like I've been... Been deer hunting since I was, you know, 10. And uh mule deer hunting, i black tail deer hunt in Alaska, I've white tail deer hunt in Montana. Like I'm again experienced, but not a not a profession, but uh I've deer hunt. I I pounded the country. I mean, I sat there till dark for twelve days in a row at the end of October. I would hunt till dark. I would sit on game trails for hours. I nothing. I mean, not really game trails where I thought there should be. I just there wasn't much sign. I saw two uh, piles of scat the entire time two piles of deer scat in 67 days of beat my that two by two square and uh so didn't see any rabbits I saw two grouse the first grouse I saw was on day 52 and uh and so yeah didn't see a lot of game but I should have set more rabbit snares I, I was only setting like one snare at each spot and I should have where I, where I thought it was a good spot and I should have set three or four like I'm, I definitely made some mistakes uh lots of mistakes, but um yeah, I just I couldn't find the game day fifty two I ran in that grouse, and I didn't even have my bow with me because I stopped carrying it about day thirty five and uh that was dumb,
1: <laughs> yeah, but something I think probably most people would do you'd be like, there's no grouse here, you know what I mean, like especially with experience, like you see you're you have a ton of experience, and I think a lot of people that listen to us and yeah. you know we became, have that same, you have that feeling district, you're like. You know? You're like I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's not here. I'm not gonna. Why am I gonna carry this bow around? Like I'm not gonna see a grouse. There's no grouse around here. Yeah, and then of course you see one. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. no, I saw it was uh, on connect berries, and I watched it, and I just froze, and I was like, okay, can I get to my shelter and back? And and I couldn't. It took off, and I tried to figure out where it went. Like I mean, I spent hours chasing that thing down. But uh, yeah, the bow just got clunky. You know, I mean, I'd still take it down to my boat, and I'd hang it up on the beach in case someone walked by or. I, but it
0: just, uh, it just, yeah, that was a bummer. So this last seat, spoiler alert, anyone if, you're, if you haven't watched the last season alone, the this the last contestant that won had a totally different strategy going in. Um, I found it was really interesting. Do you think that you,
1: he waited it out?
0: That's yeah. basically what yeah.
1: he did. Yeah.
0: And like not yep. having a fire and like burning all those calories, do you think that's going to kind of change people's mindset of how they go into the game?
2: Well, I think um, I think to each their own, right? So I don't want to I don't want to um, make anyone feel bad about the strategies that they take. Like we all go in there and no one has an answer that the the key that's going to pick the luck. We don't really know. Some of us are hunters, some are fishermen, some are primitive skills. Some of us are just fat, and we're just gonna out fat yeah. people. Some of us are like, you know, and so we're gonna do whatever. Um, and so I don't knock anyone. It's a game show. When it comes down to it, it's for half a million dollars, and however you play it is how you play it. But for me, so so for me, people were like, "Oh, if you're gonna go on again, like you just need to gain a bunch of weight, be like 300 pounds." Well, that's that's not really how I want to win. Yeah. Like I have a, so much respect for Clay. Say in my season, he went in like 180. He didn't have much much to lose and he busted his ass and he's a heck of a fisherman, heck of a hunter. I mean, just outdoors when he's, he's so thoughtful. He's so experienced um, biologist by trade. So anyhow, like I, he, he outskilled us and, uh, and that's what I wanted. I want to demonstrate skills and get people inspired about fishing and, and hunting and being outdoors and the respect and the land and all that stuff. And to me, so like, I laid my shelter one time for a day and a half, thirty-six hours in my sleeping bag, and I couldn't do it. It's not that I I, I could have laid there forever, but it's like uh, I kind of didn't want to go out like that and just say I out hibernated or I out fatted people. So uh, I wanted to kind of go down swinging. But that's just me. And so yeah, I think people will look at it and say like, how to you know, how to meditate, how to fast. How, I think that's phenomenal to win the game. But uh, but I think alone and demonstrating the skills and in the in the spirit of dick krenicke is like uh going out there and just demonstrating the kind of life that you can live when you simplify things uh it's pretty beautiful and pretty meaningful and uh and there's a lot of diy and i don't know i could talk about it forever but uh but yeah a ton of respect for the people that were on season nine a ton of respect for the person who won uh yeah it's and i think the no fire thing is brilliant i loved watching him i want to read his book i think he's phenomenal he's tough he's gritty uh probably just not my strategy just you know
0: yeah, so like how much You're a
1: hunter and a fisherman first. It sounds like hunter, fisherman, forager, food gatherer first and a survivor second.
0: So, how much notice yeah. do you get going into the show? I just want to go back to this. How much notice do you get going like that you're going to be selected to be on the show?
2: Not much. Like pretty it's pretty I don't know if every season, you know, they've been doing it like the show, the TV company that uh, that makes the show is phenomenal. Like they have got it dialed in, like in terms of gear and getting people places and communication and all this stuff. Like they've been doing it ten years now, so that's pretty cool. They I, I bet season one and two are pretty chaotic, but still. That being said, I think I found out like August. Let's see. No, I found out like July fifteenth, and I left August thirteenth. Like I had less than a month. Uh, now you knew you were in the running, like they narrowed it down to 50 and then they narrowed it down to 24 and then they narrowed it down to 12. But when they narrowed it to 12, we had like four weeks before we took off. So it was very, So you, had a, you kind of forewarned your employer or your family or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you didn't get, and not more than a month for sure.
1: Yeah. Just about gaining weight before you leave.
0: Yeah. But if you, were- I don't
1: know, I feel so I was slow. Maybe it's a little, like I'd be a little bit afraid to gain too much weight, but I don't know.
2: I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's the other a trade off too, right, is you feel like crap. Like if I put on 40 or 50 pounds, I'm not going to feel good. And so like doing the things that I want to do, athletic moves, whether you're out there fishing or building or in a tree stand or hunting, like, yeah, you're going to be a little different. But um, <clears throat> you can also take food rations. <clears throat> Again, this isn't something you can take up to two food rations. I didn't want to sit in my shelter eating trail mix pretending that, you know, I was, <laughs> a decent, a good survival. Like that wasn't, that wasn't my thing, but to play the game, like, you know, the game, the game of alone, uh, to win the half a million, like that might be a really smart strategy. Uh, so it's kind of maybe my bullheadedness or maybe, you know, whatever, but I wanted to like test myself and not really hibernate and or eat uh food rest. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you have any problem being alone?
2: No, no, that was, um, that was one thing that, luckily, uh, I've been alone. It just practice. You know, I I, talked to, I actually was talking in Montana a conference a couple weeks ago, and I asked the group, at 40 or 50 in there, what's the longest you've ever been alone? And, you know, one person stood up and said, I'm 48 years old and I've never been alone for more than six hours. And, uh, and you know, a lot of people have not been alone more than 12 or 18 hours or a couple of days, like, and so I... Fortunately, my lifestyle and where I've lived in Alaska, um, like, spent 20 days, 30 days. The longest I've ever spent is six weeks, so 42 days without seeing another human. And uh, and so you kind of know what loneliness feels like or anxiety or different coping mechanisms or how, you know, emotionally or mentally what you go through. So I, that part of it, and you know, it's temporary, like the show ends, the longest it's ever went one is 100 days. There's nothing in my life. Sorry, mom, dad, my partner. Uh, there's nothing in my life that I can't live without for more than a hundred days. And, uh, and so, yeah, though that wasn't a factor for me. It was the food aspect um, and my body deteriorating, but not being alone.
0: I feel like that is like a huge component for some people like big time, like they just get inside their head. Yeah. So I think you have a huge advantage going in if you, are conditioned to being alone for huge in chunks of time and you say you didn't see another human did you like when you know when you've been alone in the past did you have a dog or anything
2: <laughs> yep yeah I've had a dog for 15 years and I, I came back from alone and I had to put him down I came back to the oh. island oh. and was alone where I was living and he was 15 and and uh he was in pretty rough shape and so I had to I put him down, but he had a great life, and we had so many adventures around Alaska. He'd been caribou hunting with me and moose hunting and ptarmigan hunting and fishing and rafting and flying and skiing. I mean, he was a great dog. I got from a vi- the village, uh, Cockanuck, and he was a fantastic dog. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a huge aspect. He was a great companion. He'd go kayaking. I'd tie kayaks together. He'd ride in one, and I'd paddle the front one. And Yeah, it was funny. Um, I, I wasn't going to yeah, say, though, it, it, but, yeah, it is a huge I think if you had a dog,
1: you could. I think if if you gave somehow they could manage to allow you to have a dog. I think it'd be a lot easier. That's for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. There's just so much. uh, I think people. I think there's some. I think there's a lot of value in spending some alone time. I think being intentional about it. You know, you don't need to go 40 days, but setting aside a couple days to rejuvenate and recoup. You know, your emotional intelligence, different attachments. There's so many things that you realize. When you're alone and uh, we're constantly stimulated, we're constantly in these social engagements and, and, and validation and all this stuff. And so I think we're a little bit out of whack. We're social beings. Of course, we want to be around people, which is great. But uh, but I do think some alone time could be kind of healthy. Uh, but it's hard to encourage people to do that. You're so full and you don't know what you're going to get out of it. Like we want a, a clear objective and a clear time. I'm going to go take this webinar. It's two hours long. I get three credits. Great. Boom. But it's like, yeah. Hey, I'm just going to spend too uh, What am I going to get? Uh, I don't have time for that, but like, that's too foozy, witchy watchy, like, but yeah, I think it's a good practice.
1: You teach your teacher. Uh, like on. I have
2: been. Yeah. I was a te- uh, you know, I was an educator for 13 years, uh, my 15 years in Alaska, but right now currently I'm not, um not teaching. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you think, uh, you so you're doing a lot of speaking then as well like it sounds like you get to like a lot of doors opened up uh, from 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 being on the show
2: yeah yeah education but i have yeah it's been a lot that's come from the show but um and you kind of always you know we're always all educators and all students and uh sharing information but uh yeah i've been doing some talks like i talked with an elementary school this morning in oregon that was really cool they projected me and i did a little presentation that was pretty fun um Talked at a conference in Montana, some schools in Alaska, and you know orientation with the season ten alone, folks, and and uh, and yeah. So um, I've definitely had some opportunities come from this, but uh, but I would say that you know my last teaching gig kind of went along with this. So I taught what was called homesteading, which is just a kind of a silly term for like DIY. Yeah. And so we, we, you know, we forged and blacksmith and milled and built and foraged and garden and food preservation. And it was pretty, and did solar panels and, uh, hydropower and, and electrical and like just a lot of, um, renewable and sustainable practices. So it was really neat. Like, so that's kind of my favorite, my favorite education is teaching people. I don't care if it's baking a loaf of bread or changing oil or growing a head of lettuce or keeping a chicken or whatever it is. Um yeah, there's so much more stimulating when you do something yourself than when you go trade money for it. It used to bother my dad when I was young. I'd say, we're paying money to be stupid. We're paying money to be <laughs> ignorant. Every time, every time we buy a head of lettuce, we're paying so, so that we don't know how to do it. Or, you know, we don't really have a choice. And so I just wanted an option. doesn't mean we'd always have to do it ourselves. It just means I actually have a choice. Do I want to bake this loaf of bread myself or go buy one? I have a choice. But if you don't know how to do something, you don't really have a choice. Your only option is to be a consumer. So, uh, so yeah, it's kind of my my education uh, that I'm kind of into these days.
0: So I have a, I have a question for you here. Um, so, did you ever feel like you were in danger when you were on the show, or you know that you know, oh God, what did I get myself into?
2: Um, no. I mean, I yes and no. I, there was a time when I, the most dangerous moment of the entire show of my 67 days came on day 45 when I was setting my gill net or no maybe yeah it might have been day 46 anyhow I was setting a gill net and in the lake was rough like literally three to four foot breakers in the lake and I was tucked in my bay but I wanted to go out to this point and set my gill net and I was probably 15 yards from these breaking waves blowing south wind and there were there were huge waves but I'm 15 yards away and there were They're wrapping around a little bit. It's a little rough, but no big deal. I'm setting my gill net. The gill net gets wrapped up in one of my oars. My other oar falls out of its oar lock and starts floating away in the water. So now I have one oar. My gill net's wrapped up around it, and my other paddle is going out towards those breaking waves. And that was the moment that I had to make some quick decisions on what I do with my net, what I do with my oar in the boat. Like, that was the closest I got to, like to sinking or to swimming or to be in a really crappy cause it was clipped out there. Like I wasn't gonna be able to get up on the rocks. Like it was just kind of a bad situation. Other than that. Um, no, I didn't feel like I was in danger. I mean, there's bears out there, but I've been in bear country and camped in bear country and you're around them. bears do their thing. And, uh, like most wild animals, they don't want anything to do with you. And so, uh, so yeah, so I didn't feel like I was in there. I actually felt like I could be very liberal, um, or a lot, uh, riskier with my, not riskier, I should say, but like I usually play it very conservative, because you don't have a little GPS with people watching you with helicopters. you don't have a doctor checking on you every 10 days. So like where I've lived in the bush in Alaska, or like on that island, say the last four years, like if I'm chainsawing, cutting firewood, like there's no one that's going to come save me if I make a mistake. Well, this time, I could kind of push my limits a little more, so but I only made some um, riskier decisions than I typically do.
1: So it, it, probably most people watching the show would think like the bear is the scare, like the most potential for like something bad happening to one of the contestants. But by the sounds of it, you think exposure is the thing that scares you the most. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it's typically human error. In my opinion, it's human error. Like we like to pit humanity against nature. Na- you know, nature's always trying to kill you and all these quotes. And all that stuff but it's, no it's not like it's usually humans not being prepared like yeah exposure cuz you didn't bring the right rain gear or you have fell in the water but it's not like nature's out there just trying to kill you and so uh no bears uh you know they're not predictable but like um you know the bears injured or has cubs or on a kill sure it might be more aggressive and rightfully so but like uh but typically just like a moose or a deer or a bird or any other animal, it doesn't want you standing next to it. It doesn't want to be near you and, uh, and it wants to run away. And so that's what most of the bears I saw and most of the bears people encounter. So, but we have this big fear. Yeah, we have this, there's a, definitely a fear of bears. You watch a bear mauling video and, and it gets 7 million views. And I want to pass that story on. Well, 99.9% of encounters that don't go down like that. And, uh, and so yeah, I would say exposure for me it probably would have been the cold the dampness, the wetness and the cold, uh and the wind. God, the wind was brutal out there. So I had you know, just having the gear and uh being smart about keeping your feet dry and your body dry and and uh but yeah, things happen. If I'd ended up in that lake, it would have been a different story.
1: I think the thought of the bear is scarier than the bear. For me personally. It's like I always think yeah. like well, if I can't see them, it makes me a little nervous for sure. Like if you can hear them in the bushes and you can't you kind of don't know where they're going, but I think every time I see a bear, I'm always like, this year we were walking down a trail, me and Timber, and um, we were going to this fishing spot and a, a black bear and it's cub came across in front of us about, you know, 50 yards or something like that. And then like just cross the trail and then just went on the other side of the bush. Right. And like, I'm like, well, I know what I should do. I should turn around and go back the other way. But it's like, I need to get to the fish on the other side of that trail. And like, I'm like, oh, let's just go. You know what I mean? So we just kept walking, obviously. And nothing. I'm talking to you, so obviously nothing happened. But you know, it's like, I always feel... I just don't. I just don't want to be the guy in the news being like, "Oh yeah, we seen the bear. What did you do? Oh, we walked right towards it." You know what I mean, right? <laughs> It'd be always that emba- like embarrassment. Like embarrassment scares me more than death from a bear. I think. Okay, maybe. <laughs> but you know,
0: you know what's crazy? The next weekend we went down there. In the next week, within a, it was a week's time, and we came down the trail, and well, we were driving to the trail, but it's on this really rugged back road, and I was like, "Oh my God, what is that?" There was a dead grizzly bear in the middle of the, you can't you can't drive fast down this road like it wasn't like it was hit like this road is so no, rough No it was killed by another yep. grizzly. Yeah, we got out and checked it Oof, out and wah. like it was it was pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. Its whole yeah, back the, quarter uh, had been pulled pulled off of them and you could see like the the wah. the marks from the claw. It was maybe a year old, yeah. maybe a year or two old. So maybe that big alpha grizzly e- came down and took it
2: yeah no I mean that's nature that's what's going on out there and uh that's pretty wild to find though that's me I think um I think part of it is too you know we're control freaks I think humans we want to control our minds our emotions our bodies want to control our day and we want to we control traffic anytime something's out of control, we don't like it you know traffic or you know bare nature like I mean we don't we want to be in control of you know, how we die how we live everything and so yeah, it's nice to let go. I think it's nice to uh, kind of get out there, and not that you do what you want with me, but you're being smart. You realize when you're in, you know, you're out in the woods. Like, there's a lot of factors, a lot of things out of your control, and uh, you just need to make you know, the best decisions you can. Learn, keep your eyes open, and uh, and a lot of people don't feel like they speak the language. Like it's kind of like going to a foreign country. Say you go to Thailand or Nicaragua, you don't speak Spanish, and it, you know you kind of get anxious and you get you wonder if people are going to take advantage of you or this or that when really they're just living their lives. It's kind of like that in the woods is like when people don't feel, they feel uncomfortable. I've met a lot of people that say, Oh, I don't feel comfortable out there. I don't know. Like something's going to fall on me or something's trying to kill me. I'm paranoid and anxious. And like, that's not, not, you know, it's not the case. And so, um, I try to get a lot of people with that kind of anxiety out in the woods and having good experiences. So,
1: yeah, it's just little steps. You know what I mean? That's how you get people out there. And I just, yeah. You know, to sit in the woods in peace is in and quiet. It's like there's not there's not too many other things out there that'll 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 soothe your soul. I think, anyways. You know?
2: so. Absolutely, and there's there's eight point seven million other species on this planet, and we've kind of you know said that we can only learn from one of them ourselves. And uh, if you can put that ego away and that ignorance, and say like, God, there's so much life going on out there. You can learn so much about love and patience and
0: resilience
2: and grit and you know anything. you can learn so much from all these different critters that have been walking this planet a lot longer than we have. But uh, but you got to sit down and observe. You got to find value in it. So it's and you got to have that experience. It's kind of tough. Not a lot of people get to live in those functioning ecosystems where they can go out there and see that kind of playing out in front of them. So I've been pretty pretty lucky to be able to do that.
1: Well, that was a. One of the fastest hours I've we've had on here and I, I'd like to thank you, Coulter, so much for, for coming on and and you might not have won that season, but like I think you've like of all the of all the contestants that have been on there, I think you won everybody's heart. So if, if you, you, ju- you, you truly again. <laughs> you truly are I think inspired a lot of people. So thank you so much for that. Bye.
2: I appreciate it Darcy. And I appreciate it, Timber. This was a ton of fun visiting with you guys and I love what you're doing and putting out into the world and uh and um yeah, I appreciate the time to talk today and I hope I get on there again and I uh, appreciate your support. Yeah. Uh, we'll I be do, so. we'll
1: be we'll be your biggest fan if you're on there again, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully they're listening at some point and they know I'm sure they know you know you want to be back on. So thank you Coulter.
2: Oh yeah. Okay, yep, You guys have a good one. Talk <laughs> with you. Have
0: a great fall. Don't hang up, though. Don't hang up. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening.